This is Kevin Schulman, author of Goal Setting Bootcamp, and you're listening to My Quest for the Best with Bill Ringel. Listen up, small business founders, senior managers, and rising stars. Bill Ringel here, host of My Quest for the Best, where ambitious small business leaders discover strategies and tactics to unlock your growth potential. On each episode, I bring you the inside stories from published and accomplished guests who want to share their knowledge and experiences so you can be more successful in leading your people, managing your business, and navigating towards more growth and more impact in a changing and challenging landscape. Let's dive in. Hi, this is Bill Ringel, host of My Quest for the Best, the podcast for ambitious small business leaders. Joining me today is Kevin Schulman. Kevin is a senior trainer at the Sandler Training Center in Metro Park. He's here to talk about his book, Goal Setting Bootcamp, Getting from Where You Are to Where You Want to Be. Welcome, Kevin. Uh, welcome to you. Thank you so much for having me. Kevin, it's a pleasure to have you. Tell me, when you were growing up, who's someone who influenced or inspired you? Oh, boy. You know, I don't want to give you the tacky answer and, and say my father, because that would, that, that would be the easy answer, and I could talk about that for a long time. I think I'm going to say Dr. McCracken, who was my intro psych professor in college. She was one of those professors that was we don't get enough of, purely truly inspirational that you know it was one of those where if she offhand mentioned that she read a book that she enjoyed i i ran out like a good puppy to go get that book and was reading it the next day do you remember what the book was oh i really don't quite frankly i really don't but but she's the one that taught that taught me that you can give up guilt how did she explain that oh that's too long a story for for, for this podcast but uh uh, you'll remind me someday, I'll regale you with the story of giving up guilt. But it, it, it's really fascinating because like most emotions, guilt is learned. And anything that can be learned can be unlearned. So let's talk about the impact. After you learn that you can give up guilt, and after I presume that you gave up experiences that cause guilt or memories that cause guilt, what's a change? What was one significant change you were able to make in your life for the better as a result? Totally life-changing. I understand responsibility and accountability perhaps way better than most. They're two of my favorite words because I don't think uh, many people really understand them. But guilt is something different. Guilt has no positive value. Guilt just makes you feel bad for the sake of feeling bad. And I've chosen not to have that in my life. And I chose that that day way back when in 1975, I think, when she taught me that. And my life's been different ever since. People can try to throw guilt at me, but I just don't take it. So you've developed a resistance or, or kind of um, people can't guilt you, so they can't manipulate you. Correct. I can't. The, the manipulation of guilt, to it, it, take it in today's world, I, I have the vaccine. And so, and so I'm immune. And people can try to throw out guilt, whether it was back in those days, it might have been my mother trying to throw guilt at me because I did grow up in a culture of, of that. And I, she could, I couldn't stop her from trying to do that, but I didn't have to expect, accept it anymore. So what about in business? How does not being able to be manipulated easily serve you well in leading your business? Well, I clearly manipulation and especially guilt as, as a form of manipulation doesn't belong in business. Now, having said that, I, I told you I grew up in a culture that, that of which guilt is certainly a part. I do know how to use it and I do know how to throw it out and use it as a tool, but I don't like to use it. It, it shouldn't be that way. I don't like to do it with my daughter. I don't like to do it with my grandkids and, and I don't like to do it with, with adults if I can avoid it. It is. It's kind of a shortcut when 
you want to be able to do something else and have them see it from your perspective so that it's in their own self-interest. But sometimes you need to say, the poor dog is thirsty. You should make sure the dog's bowl gets some water. Absolutely. But getting somebody to do things because you make them feel bad about it is so non-productive because ultimately they resent it. What's important about goal setting and your approach to it in particular? One of the things I learned from reading Goal Setting Bootcamp is that you start in a different place than most people do for small business leaders. You start with personal goals because of their significance. Can you expand on that, please, Kevin? Absolutely. I think the biggest mistake people make, particularly business owners, or even other people in business, or even salespeople, they always start with their business goals. They say, geez, last year our company did X million dollars or X hundred thousand dollars. Wouldn't it be great if we could do 20% more than that? Well, that would be great. Eh, well, and if it was only 15, that would be okay too. And, and some people in today's world start even smaller than that. And or they say, geez, it would be great if I made $200,000 next year after they made 150 this year. And it's just a number. So what do you encourage people to do differently? The problem is numbers in and of themselves are not overly motivating. And even worse, if, if after the first few months of the year, you t you're falling behind, you start renegotiating with yourself and lower the number and, exp and start expecting less. And the mistake is that what you should be doing is starting with your personal goals and not just your financial goals, but let's start with your personal goals, long-term, short-term and retirement goals. What do you want your life to look like a year from now? That's short-term five years from now is long-term and retirement goals and retirement goals are important. Whether you're my age and you're looking at three years down the road or whether you're 20 and you're looking at 40 or 50 years down the road. Retirement goals are critical, but the point is you should figure out not just your financial goals, although that's clearly important, but your lifestyle goals, your family goals, maybe some social goals, maybe educational or even spiritual goals. And take and clearly most of us, we, we, we live in America where we, where we like such things, we should have stuff goals because those are important too, whether that's a new car or I always joke that my wife has shoe goals. One of my hobbies, and we should have hobby goals as well. One of my hobbies is I'm a wine collector, so I have wine goals. But the key is figure out what you want your life to look like a year from now, five years from now and in retirement, and then sit back and say, okay, what do I have to do in my business to achieve those goals? Because those goals are really motivating. If I know that if I make an extra X dollars this year, or if my business grows by a spike, Y percent this year that I can put a new pool in my backyard or I can get that that second house I've been wanting or I can get that special bottle I've been looking for. That'll drive me. That's motivating. But just trying to get some percentage, eh, not so much. Sure. So it really dimensionalizes itself. And then everyone's goals are very distinct. They're very personalized. For me, it's, you know, maybe going to see another uh, Grand Slam tournament when tennis allows people to view matches in person again. Absolutely. And, I, and I'm looking forward to being back in Broadway theaters and at Yankee Stadium. So we're, we're, we've got some similarities. Yes, I totally get that. Kevin, when you explain this to business leaders, do they all get it right away? Or is there some 
there, there's some intermediate steps that they need to take in order to understand that the real value of goals is to understand how it enriches your life and allows you to live the version of your life that you truly desire. The short answer is, yes, they get it. The longer answer is, do they do it? Are they willing to do the work to really sit down and in writing create what I call a goals book and put together what they want their life to look like? Yeah, I, I joke all the time that people will spend a lot more time planning a two-week vacation than they will spending the rest of their lives. And in fact, it's a really good exercise to do with your spouse or significant other and because you find out a lot about each other. And you can get them on the same page as you and supporting you in your goals while you can support them in some of their goals. And that's pretty good. And then there's quite frankly, one other major error that business owners make is that they think once they, even if they go through this exercise and they figure out what they want their personal life to look like, so they figure out they need their business to do X, whatever that is, they think that all of a sudden, all of their employees are going to get on board with that and they're going to want to do X just because they said so. Let me tell you about Jim, who's a client of mine, has a nice sized distributing company in central New Jersey. And it took him a while. Every year he wanted to grow his company. In, in his mind, I don't know why he thought 10 or 12% was a good number. I quite frankly never think that's near enough. But that's what he wanted to do. And every year he was falling a little short. And I finally took him through the concept of doing personal goal setting. And when he did the personal goal setting, he figured out that what he needed his company to do was grow by 20% the next year. And the amazing thing was it did it. The first time he ever raised the, raised the number was the first year he ever did the number because the motivation was so much greater. So what happened when he had to convey that to his employees? Because I'm sure that there needed to be changes in the sales system, the operation system, the fulfillment system. How did he ramp up to get to 20% growth in one year? Well, indeed, there were a number of things that happened. And there was then a next step the following year. So the first year, he realized he needed to grow sales significantly if he was going to hit that 20% number. And he used to just do it by driving the sales team, trying to get that 10 or 12% number and failing. Now he made a commitment to his company and he brought me in, not just to work with him as a, on a consulting basis, but to come in and work as a trainer with his sales team. So we changed the sales culture. And what I told him was he also needed to make a commitment to, on the marketing side because as much as I might be able to turn his people into studs, they're still not going to want to do this, go out and do the prospecting. So he needed to do better marketing. And so he also invested in marketing. And so he made a larger investment in his company. And all of a sudden, 20% growth came. So, just so let me just back up for a moment. When he made that investment in marketing, the outcome of that investment was to bring in more qualified leads for the salespeople to close and negotiate with. Is that right? Exactly. I often say if, if you just invest in the marketing, but not in, in, the, in your salespeople, when your salespeople don't close on the leads, you're going to think that the marketing wasn't very good. And, and likewise, I can work with your people and turn them into studs, but they're still not going to want to do the prospecting. So you've got to do some marketing to get some leads. In. How do you define marketing versus sales? What's your definition of the two fundamentally different activities that probably a lot of people still 
merge and conflate so that they don't have a clear idea of how they operate differently and interdependently? They are two separate things, but there's definitely overlap. Clearly, when you put an ad on, on the radio or on TV or on a billboard, clearly that's more, or out in social media, that's marketing. Clearly, when you're sitting face to face with a prospect and you're trying to close the business, that's sales. But when the salesperson is out prospecting and cold calling, whether that's knocking on the door or picking up the phone, is that marketing or is it sales? I think it's a little bit of both and it kind of sits in between. Kevin, when people do this goal setting boot camp process successfully, they get to a phase called the business doubler. And I think that a lot of people who have been through sales, who have read a lot of marketing copy and blog posts, they see promises to double your business. And I think many people have kind of a blinder onto it or, or a sense of thinking that it's just hyperbole and come on in order to get people interested. Have you ever seen somebody double their business as a result of following these steps? The short answer is absolutely. Nothing excites me more than this concept of the business doubler because most business people don't think it's possible. And I get it if you're a $50 billion company, it's, it becomes very hard to double. But you would be surprised how large you can be and still double. What's an example of a, a larger company that was successfully able to double in the span of a year? Because that's a really ambitious goal once you get into the millions. My favorite example is a client of mine. He's been a client for well north of 20 years. And we've worked with him both on a training perspective, worked with him on a coaching level. And about five or six years ago, I introduced him to the concept of the business double. Now, this is, his name is Mark. He's also down here in central New Jersey, and he sells into very large power companies. And at, one, at the time, the five or six years ago, his business was a $2 million company. And we set out to grow the business and double it. And sure enough, at the end of a year, we turned it into a $4 million company. And that, that December, we sat down to do our goal setting. And I said, are you ready to do the doubler again? And he looked at me and he said, really? And I said, absolutely. And that year we turned it from, we went from four to eight. And the next year we went from eight to 16. And that year in December, he looked at me and he said, I know you want to talk about the doubler, but you really think we could possibly become a $32 million company from 16 in one year? And I said, not if you don't believe it. And he said, well, let's go for it. And we put together what needed to be done. And literally the last day of the year, or the last week of the year, actually, he made the sale that put them to $32 million for the year. And that was two years ago. And last year we sat down and I said, do you want to go for 60? And he looked at me and he said, absolutely not. He said, I'm not willing to put, a, to put in the infrastructure and hire the number of people it would take for, to be a $60 million company. I don't want to be a $60 million company. He said, what I want to do this year is keep in that 30 to 35 range, but I want to be more profitable. And let's set that as the goal for this year. And that's what we've been working on this year. And he is having his most profitable year ever. And he is going to end up somewhere between 30 and 35, even in a COVID year. Well, that's exciting. And it's somebody who's actually done this. You've had the, the financials to see the growth. And one thing I think that is important to emphasize is that the things that he was doing to go from two to four or four to eight, 
were vastly different than to go from 16 to 32 or to improve profitability at that point. These required a very different analysis of the business, the environment which he was selling, and as you mentioned earlier, the infrastructure that's required to advance at that pace. And you're 100% right. The interesting thing is they are a fairly lean company and they have been able to do the growth without that much infrastructure. It's really, truly amazing. And I've never seen it get to that level of growth from 2 million to 30 plus without putting in much infrastructure, but he's been able to do it. And that's why he wanted to stop at the low 30s, because now he'd have to put in a lot of infrastructure and he doesn't want I'm just going to underscore, you said he had to believe that he could do it before he took the steps and took the actions required to make that happen. You can't just set it as a goal. I've noticed that. You can't just set goals and hope that they happen. You have to put some work in behind that. Back a a few million years ago or so, it seems, one of the first great sales trainers was a guy named Napoleon Hill, and, and he wrote a book called Think and Grow Rich. And he's famous for the quote, anything a man can conceive and believe he can achieve. And people forget that middle part. It's everything, anything you can conceive and believe. If you don't believe it's doable, it will never, ever happen. Because goal setting works in your subconscious mind, not your conscious mind, not your unconscious mind, in that middle level. And that middle level needs to believe what you're working on or it won't do it. Many times business owners will say to me that they need to learn some different skills or spend time doing things that they ordinarily don't. One of the things that I've read and picked up from your book is that setting the goal is important, but also reminding yourself of it and visualizing is important. Can you expand on that and elaborate on the importance of visualization, not just in goal setting, but in goal achievement? I want to tackle one other question that you that you started to ask, and, and visualization will tack on to the end of it. Because you talked about what do they really need to do as a business owner to make it happen? One of the things that I find is vital because personal goals are so important is we as business owners or managers, we tend to dictate goals for the business. And it's very important, whoever your reports are, whether your reports are the VPs or your reports are managers or your reports are salespeople out in the field, I think it's important that you talk to the people that report to you and have the conversation with them about their goals and their dreams. And where did they see their lives a year from now and five years from now and in retirement? And the magic is there's two pieces of magic here. One piece is that is just by asking the question, they understand that you're willing to help them get there. And they're amazed by that, often amazed by that. And once they understand that you want to help them achieve their goals and be sincere when you say that, that all of a sudden they'll be much more willing to work harder to help you achieve yours. And so getting them on board by discussing their personal goals with them is just absolutely critical, absolutely critical. So I think that's very important. And then you bring up visualization. Visualization is also quite frankly magical. It also works in the subconscious. We know that goals visualization works in medicine. We know that cancer patients that practice visualization have a higher survival rate and get better quicker. And so visualization, we know, works at a physiological level, let alone the psychological level. So it can be as simple as 
taking whatever your goal is and take scotch taping it to your bathroom mirror so you see it every day. There are some great, great stories of it. With our clients, we do a cut and paste night where we have everybody come in and, and on poster board, they cut out pictures from mag magazines and such and pictures of their goals. And then I encourage them to put it up someplace where they see it on a regular basis. And it's amazing. I, I have one client, Leslie, who she will make five different goals boards for five different areas of her life. So she has a goal, a goals board for her business. She has a goals board for her, for her family, for their family life and, and for things like vacations and things for her son. She has a board for some personal goals that she wants just for her. And I still remember one of the funniest stories. Now, this is a really small thing. When her business was very young, because she's been coming to goal setting with me for also north of 20 years, she had a list of things she needed for her office. And one of the things was she needed a new modem for her computer. That's a relatively small thing, but it was on her list of things she wanted for the year. And literally, the UPS guy, came to make a delivery to her office. And he said, gee, what's that up there on, on that picture of stuff up there? And she said, oh yeah, I need a new modem this year. And he said, I just got a new one and my, my old one is in great shape. Why don't I give it to you? And that never would have happened if she didn't have that there. And she, of course, when she was single, she had pictures of the kind of, of uh, guy she wanted to marry. And she had pictures of, 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 the, of her dream wedding ring, which ended up being her engagement ring, which ended up being very, very similar to, to what her now husband proposed to her with. So it's amazing what happens with it. I think one of the important takeaways from that is that you've got to be open. You've got to, first of all, you've got to share what your goals are. You've got to post them where you can share them with other people where it's appropriate. And secondly, you've got to be open to things coming to you from lots of different areas, from the unexpected. Because she never would have thought, I need to ask the delivery people coming to my house if they have a spare modem. That's just not a question. But if you're open to the serendipity, it is more likely to occur. So I, I'll tell you two good stories. One, one that's more personal, one, that, one that's more business. I had a new client. His name was Paul. He was a business owner, but he had a boss. What I mean by that is he was a 10% partner. His, his partner had 90%. So he really, in, in, for practical reasons, he had a boss. In a nice-sized company uh, down in Monmouth County, and his first program he ever did with us was two weeks before Christmas, he came to our goals visualization night, what, what I sometimes call cut-and-paste night. And he had this big picture in the middle of his poster board it looked like a romantic scene of a couple on the beach surrounded by a lot of other things he was looking for and i said paul that looks great but i got to ask you what does that picture mean are you, are you looking for the beach are you looking for the girl are you looking for the romance and he said kevin i've been working my butt off for the last 10 years i haven't taken a vacation in 10 years i'm fried i need a vacation and so i said that's great good representation and he took me literally and put it up in his office directly across from his desk. And the next morning, his boss slash partner walked in and looked at the board and said, what does that mean? And he said, well, that's what you paid Shulman a lot of money for. And he said, okay, that's very nice, but what does it really mean? And he said, if you haven't noticed, I haven't taken a vacation in a really long time. I'm a little burnt out. I need to get away sometime this year. To which his boss said, well, let me tell you why I came in here in the first place. I came in here to give you your Christmas bonus. 
Now I'm telling you that it comes with two weeks vacation and you have to take it sometime before the end of January. Now think about that. Less than 24 hours after setting the goal. And what he said to me was, I would have gotten the money anyway, but I wouldn't have gotten the vacation. And I would have ended up spending it on, on my family and everybody else for because I would have been feeling badly about it for Christmas. And that's what I do every year. And I never would have gotten what I really needed if I hadn't put that picture up. Self-care is so important. What was the second example? The second example was I had a client who was very small business. She was an artist. Her name was Liz. And what she wanted more than anything else was to get married. Her way of visualizing getting married was she went out to a men's store and she bought a pair of blue jeans. And she hung them up in her in her gallery where she worked to represent that she wanted a man to fill the pants. And the amazing thing was by the end of the year, she was married and the pants fit the guys in both waist and length. Kevin, are you ready for the My Quest for the Best Lightning Round? I couldn't be more ready. What could be more fun than that? At the beginning of the interview, I asked you about a person who inspired you growing up. And you talked about Dr. McCracken, your psychology professor. What was that song that inspired you when you were a teenager? Oh, boy. When I was a teenager would have been just about anything by the Beatles. All you need is love would be the first one. When you think about your mission to help business owners really expand their business and reach their goals, what are two or three things that you've found helpful and perhaps even surprisingly so as an effective way to reach out and build your business in the last several months? The biggest thing I've found is, and something that I track on a regular basis, is I require of myself that I give at least one good, strong referral every day. And very few people practice that. If you think back the last six months or so, what's the best $100 or so purchase that you've made for either business or, or personal use? Ooh, a ring light. Absolutely. Everything now is virtual and everybody's on Zoom. And if you don't have the right lighting, you don't look great and it's important. What's the most important habit, routine, or belief that you've stopped in the last year that's brought you the most pleasure or personal satisfaction? I'm always working on beliefs because I really think that Anything you totally believe in and totally believe you can do, you're capable of. And it's always expanding. I'm always come, trying to come up with new ways to get a little bit outside the box. I'm not one that goes so far outside the box as to, as to be insane, but I do like to push the limits whenever I can. But you have to start believing it. And whether that's believing, uh, the, the first one in the last, in, in the last year was believing that my business would continue to grow at the rate it always at the rate it always has or the rate I needed to during COVID. And it took the first two weeks of COVID for to me to for me to realize and get over the shock of it that there's no reason why we can't continue to grow and we've had a very fine year. Kevin, let's take a step back about goals and what are one or two of the most common mistakes people make about goals? You talked about the importance of believing it. You talked about the importance of making sure that people start with the personal goals so that they're truly tapped into their inner motivation and drive to accomplish the goals. What are one or two other ideas that you want to get across so that people can be more successful with their goals? Okay. First is goals are serious and it's serious business. And don't make them when you're drunk on New Year's Eve because your subconscious is not going to get around it because they know you're not serious. So goals are serious. Sit down and take the time to do it right. So that's one. Two is absolutely it's got to be in writing. You need to put goals down in writing 
and they need to be as specific as possible. The more specific, the better. I always joke, my wife doesn't want much. She just wants more. Well, more isn't very specific. You need to be able to know when you're on track and when you're off track, and you need to know when you've reached your goal. The one exception to that are there's such a, there's a category of goals called forever goals. And forever goals are those things that you can never attain perfection at. Things like, I strive to be the best husband I can be. That's something I, I can never achieve, but I can always improve on. And I start to, and I'm constantly working on, and it's a forever goal. Well, Kevin, you've been so generous with sharing with me on my quest for the best. I want to thank you so much for talking with me about the psychology teacher in college who inspired you and helped you find ways to be free of guilt. The importance of setting your personal goals first, how business doubling can occur at businesses that started at a $2 million level and went all the way up to thirty over $30 million and was able to maintain it consistently. I appreciate you mentioning Napoleon Hill one of my favorite sources of inspiration. And we talked about the importance of doing visualization as a way of achieving goals. So for these and so many more reasons, Kevin, I want to thank you for joining me on My Quest for the Best. It's been absolutely my pleasure. Kevin, before we say goodbye, where is a website that we could go to find out more about you and your work online? I can be found at weexpectsuccess.com. Kevin, we're going to point to that website and be sure to point also to your social media in the show notes to make it super easy for people to find you, find the book, and also learn about the great resources and classes and trainings that you offer. Kevin Schulman, author of Goal Setting Bootcamp, Getting From Where You Are to Where You Want to Be, thank you once again for joining me on My Quest for the Best. You are most welcome. It's been a total pleasure. Hi, this is Bill, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast interview on My Quest for the Best. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite app so you never miss an episode full of stories, tips, and insights for the ambitious small business leader. Now I have a quick request for you. Please go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and give us a rating and review. My team and I really appreciate the feedback and we read every comment to find out what you enjoy and what you want as we develop new content, course materials, and a few surprises that we have in store for you. When you rate and review My Quest for the Best, you help other small business leaders find us, subscribe to the podcast, and join the community. You can get the Insider's e-newsletter for small business leaders by going to myquestforthebest.com. We have chosen a challenging path to make a living and make a difference in the world, and I believe it's important to share top-notch resources with each other, which is why you'll find new episodes from top thought leaders and small business experts on My Quest for the Best each week. Thanks for listening and being part of the community. See you on the next episode. 